Don't we all wish we could have those open and honest conversations with our friends and family to be able to ask a question without being overly terrified of what the answer might be? Well, that's what the Onus podcast is for. We are here to bring on individuals each week to talk about their pregnancy experience, talk about their yeah pregnancy, labor, birth, and postpartum, and be completely open and honest about those taboo topics that we have been told are shameful to talk about. We'll also be bringing on providers from the Onus Collaborative website. These people will range from midwives to doulas, speech language pathologists, lactation care providers, and they're going to talk about who they are as individuals individuals, who they are as providers, and why they got into the work that they did, and what they might be able to help you figure out what's going on for you. So yeah, we're excited to have you. Welcome back to the Onus Podcast. I am your host, Erin, and this week we have a really exciting guest on. You've probably seen her on Instagram with her afro, breastfeeding her two young girls, and talking about black motherhood. Her name is Brie McDaniels. Uh, Her Instagram account is Moon and Cheese, and this week she's actually going to be talking to us about race and motherhood, her pregnancy and birth experience, and also her life as a photographer and how she got into what she does now. We are so thankful to have her on and this conversation is so important to have and we hope you all enjoy. All right, Bree, so how about you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're originally from and how you ended up in Seattle? (laughs) Cool, Um, yeah, so I am originally from Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I am a only child, um, and I grew up in a single parent household uh, where my mom was the, you know, the breadwinner. Um, but also, uh, I like to say like my grandparents raised me too because uh, we have like a really close relationship. Um, so those three were pretty much the the main uh, like people in my life. Um, and we grew up in a very very uh, Christian household, uh, so. Um, it was kind of like a lot of rules, um, a lot of expectations, and um, like during that time in my life, I always felt kind of like restless, you know, like almost uh, like I, I don't know, like I was just kind of waiting for something else to happen, like waiting for my life to start. Like I felt kind of like restricted, um, and I didn't feel like I had the freedoms that I was craving, so I was just always ready to jump on to the next thing. Um, and I was always kind of like the, like the artsy one in my um, family. Cause I, I mean, I love photography since I was like 10. <laughs> uh, so, uh, during that time, like I would think about like the kind of art I wanted to create, but I just didn't feel like I could express myself. So I just knew I had to leave Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> um, and that led me to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, where I went to SCAD, which is the Savannah um, College of Art and Design, but they have an Atlanta campus. Like I felt like I had a community being around um, artists who thought like me, made me really come out of my shell. And I was finally able to express like that creativity that I've been holding in for so long. Um, And there I knew I had to be a fashion designer. Um, But then when I went there, I kind of realized that like my passion in the very beginning was always photography. And so that's something I should continue to cultivate. At the time, I thought that like wedding photography was the way to go um, because it had the fashion, 
um, aspect, but also like photojournalism and just like being around people and being around people in love that really, you know, got me excited. Uh, so I ended up uh, leaving SCAD and starting my wedding photography business. And um, around that time, I uh, was uh, dating my partner and we, uh, we got married and he ended up getting a uh, job offer in Seattle. Uh, and so we're like, well, I have a very flexible job doing um, wedding photography, so I could go anywhere. Uh, and it just felt like a really good opportunity that we shouldn't miss out on. And like I said, I always felt like restless and just like waiting for something to happen. So I was just like, well, I gotta leave the South then, like this is my moment. And so we left and we went to Seattle. That's awesome. So did you meet him when you were in Atlanta? Yes, I did. And he's um, actually from Columbia, South Carolina, too. Oh. So we met in Atlanta and we we're just like, oh, like, you know, we bonded over that. And so like just having that base and not having to explain like what it's like being there, <laughs> like <laughs> helped us connect. And so we just kind of fell in love after that. Awesome. And so when you were also in a, like transitioning to Atlanta, I don't know what Columbia, South Carolina is like, but it must have been, must have been nice getting to Atlanta where it's a really diverse, uh, it's a very creative city. Like it's just like music, photography, graphics. Oh, yes. Man, it's just like, I felt like it was the first time I actually felt like at home somewhere being in Atlanta. Um, it was like all this like black creativity and like entrepreneurship which I hadn't seen in Columbia, South Carolina. It felt like when I lived in Columbia that, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's segregated because it's not segregation, but it's separation, you know? Like there was always like a distinct just difference between like white people and black people in South Carolina. And you didn't see black people in South Carolina like really, uh, like thriving like they did in Atlanta. So it was like the first time I actually saw that, you know? And so that was like exciting for me and it like sparked so much like joy inside of me and just like, I really finally felt like I belonged in a space, which is what I've been craving for so long. Yeah, that's great. And yeah. so you guys moved to Seattle where you <laughs> took your wedding photography business. Mm -hmm. Do you continue with wedding photography when you were there? Well, where I you did. Yeah, um, so I um, ended up continuing with wedding photography and I kind of like burnt out when I moved uh, because with the way his job was set up, it didn't really have an exact start date. So we kind of just like decided to just go ahead and move while we wait for it to start. So um, with weddings, like you kind of have to book like a year in advance. So like I already had a full wedding season in Atlanta. <laughs> so I had to like fly back to Atlanta 24 times um and that that year so it was uh it was um a little difficult and it kind of like it burnt me out a little bit you know because I was just like constantly I spent so much time on a plane um and I was just like you know is this still what I want to do you know is my passion still in wedding photography so uh, it was a little different and then of course like um the coronavirus um really had you like evaluate like your passion and your job because like um, with wedding photography, you can't really gather like during the coronavirus. So it kind of like made me have to reevaluate a lot of things. Yeah. So when did you move to Seattle? Uh, about four years ago. Okay, cool. So yeah. then you basically did wedding photography up until then you started questioning whether or not that was the best route. And now you yeah. have, like 
an amazing Instagram account, like full of <laughs> breastfeeding photos, like black women empowerment. And I love it. So is that transition during COVID what inspired you or what inspired you to start this massive Instagram account? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's a lot of weird things. So uh, first, before like uh, COVID, like really became what it is now, mm-hmm. like I was starting to like, you know, have that uneasiness with wedding photography. Um, and I wanted to express myself and didn't know how. And like, I was all about empowering couples to like uh, embrace their love stories. And so empowerment was always something that was really important to me, but I was really inspired by like this notion of being seen. So I was like, how can I like do all that? And how can it translate in a way where people like can see my work? So I was like, you know what? I need to start posting the stuff I want to post on Instagram. (laughs) And I know that sounds so silly, but like, it's like, I had all this work that I had been sitting on and I felt like I needed people to see it. So I just decided to go go for it, you know? And then um, the coronavirus happened and that pretty much, uh, you know, I don't want to say it killed my business, but it slowed it down. It pretty much cleared my entire schedule. And for the first time in like eight or nine years, I actually had time to focus on the work that I wanted to create. Um, so... I had all this like free time. I mean, as much free time as you can have with like two toddlers. Um, (laughs) And I was like, okay, well, let's go ahead and like really start cranking out this work. So I uh, started this uh, working on the ideas that I've been sitting on for so long. And then um, June happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, the uprise of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Um, and that was a pretty wild month for me because it was kind of like all of a sudden every like creator on Instagram wanted to pay attention to black creators, you know, (laughs) and like I all of a sudden had this like huge spotlight on me. And at that time I was like, okay, like I've been creating this work for like a long time and like now everyone's looking at me but it's like are they looking at me because like the work is good or because I'm just black you know so pretty much after that whole movement it kind of gave me the platform that I have now and I just had to like turn that platform into what I've always been wanting to do which is empower black women to feel seen um, and to normalize like black motherhood. Mm. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, because that Black Lives Matter movement finally gave you a voice, me a voice on Instagram, because for so long, like, white Instagram influencers dominate Instagram. That's just how it is. And you've created this platform where you're showing yourself breastfeeding, which we know is still such, like, a taboo topic in the Black community. Oh, yes. Yeah, and you're doing such an amazing job. So, yeah, thank you for doing it. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, I'll admit, like, I still... um, get like a little bit nervous with the stuff um that I'm posting because it's so taboo and especially like in my family um like I mean we don't even really like focus on breastfeeding like it it was more of like you know like formula or just not you know focusing on it and then like when you talk about breastfeeding like only breastfeeding to like a, a certain time and then you have to stop you know I always heard like once they can ask for it then it's perverted you know like you need to not do it anymore so like when I post this stuff I still kind of feel nervous because like I'm directly going against like everything I've been taught you know in my community but it has to be done like I feel like people need to see this and we have 
normalize breastfeeding because it's natural and it's good for your baby too. Yeah, no, you're right. Cause I think even growing up, I think my mom breastfed me for maybe six weeks, but then most people I know in my family just did formula feeding because that's what is expected. Mm-hmm. And even like in hospitals, they don't give black women the time to actually try to breastfeed. You got to do it yourself. And it's sad. Yeah. And we don't have like the resources. So not only, um, is our community kind of like going against it like the people who um are in control of of it too are going against it so it's just like i don't know so much of it is against us so and so did you so you have two daughters luna and diana yeah luna and diana um so admittedly um i had like that like really intense like year i told you where i was like going back and forth um, from Atlanta to Seattle, and I kind of, like, I mean, I guess I'll just call out it as it is. I had, like, a mental breakdown, you know, and, like, I just completely just felt alone, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna have children, because that's gonna take that empty feeling away, <laughs> which is, like, I mean, in hindsight, we know that children don't fix problems. They only amplify them, um, but I, uh, I just really thought, uh, like, finally becoming a mom could, finally give me the purpose that I was looking for and I mean I ended up getting purpose but I also found myself and uh becoming a mother like forced me to like reevaluate who I am all the good parts and the bad parts of me and love who I am so I could uh, show that love to my children and teach them to love themselves too because once you love yourself you're free you know you can finally like walk in your path and um you can be authentic and really like follow your destiny. So I felt like I needed to get myself together and be kind of like that role model for them so they can grow up uh, feeling strong and free too. So, you know, uh, so like, uh, you know, motherhood didn't like fill the emptiness, but it definitely did change a lot of things for me and made me uh, really start to love myself. So um, Luna's your oldest, and during that pregnancy, would you say that was the start of your transition into learning what you wanted to be, like how you wanted to love yourself? Yeah, yeah. So um, it was my first pregnancy, and it's a little bit of a rough pregnancy for me, and not because of like any physical, uh, well, uh, some of the physical, but for me physically, like I was fine. You know, I had um, I guess you could say like the perfect pregnancy, but it was really hard for me mentally because like I was going through that change of like uh, becoming a mother. You know, that change is really, really hard. Like you have to reevaluate so many things in your life. You have to like your your mindset changes, like your, your thought pattern changes. And so I was dealing with that. Um, and then uh, Luna had like they spotted... Um, like a abnormal abnormality in her uh, kidney uh, during pregnancy, and we were really freaked out because we thought she was only going to have one kidney, um, and we didn't know like if there would be any complications when it came to the birth. So that um, made me really really anxious. So I, I dealt with a lot of like anxiety during my pregnancy, and I am already like an incredibly anxious person to begin with. So like that was like amplified during that pregnancy too. Um, so like, you know, just going through that change, um, and just dealing with the uncertainty of like, what would happen to my kid, and then like, you know, that nervousness, like leading up to birth in general. 
That would have been terrifying. And did you have a lot of support during that time? Like when the doctor found that about Luna, was that something that they communicated with you and what that would look at, look like? Yes, like fortunately, um, I was in a situation where I had a, a good OB um, and she, they, the, the team, they were there for me. Um, so we did like regular um, like ultrasounds. Um, they referred us to specialists and I, like I felt the cure like eventually with all of that too. That's great, yeah. Yeah. And so I've seen you talk about this on your Instagram is that you were actually aware of the black maternal mortality rate in the U.S. when you became pregnant, which I think most of us aren't. We don't realize until later on. So did you say that also added to your anxiety? It, it, it really added to my anxiety. Um, I realized that like black women were dying at a higher rate and during childbirth. And I mean, a lot of people say like, oh, we don't know why. The statistics are so high, but why? And it's like, we know why. It's because of racism, you know? So like I, you know, being in a different city, a new city where I don't see people who look like me at all, and like all my like care providers are all white, you know, or they're not black. Um, so I wasn't like I was scared. I didn't know like what will happen to me with the birth, um, and it was just really scary. And then um, my second pregnancy, I ended up losing a family member uh, during my first trimester to childbirth, she uh, was giving birth to twins and she passed away and they don't know why. But I, you know, believe it's because she didn't get the proper care that she deserved. Um, and there were some like indications that she wasn't doing well, that they missed. But I believe if she was white, that she, they wouldn't have missed that stuff. And, you know, as like black women, we have to advocate for ourselves. And like when you're in such a vulnerable state um, of childbirth, it's really hard to advocate for yourselves, you know. So like knowing all of that and having it, seen it happen so close to home, like it, it was scary. It made me even more anxious. Like I didn't know if like I would be alive today to be able to raise my children. Um, I didn't know if I even get to like hold them, see them. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And with my first birth too, like I uh, bled a lot harder, you know, mm. after the birth. So, um, I just, anything could have happened. Like I could have died the first time. And, you know, if my husband wasn't there, like I told him my fears, you know, so he like stood up before me and was like watching, like, I just, I don't know, just scary. Mm. It gets kind of weird, like, talking about it, too. But it's, like, it's just this thought that haunts so many Black women, I feel like, um, during their pregnancy. And that's just not right, you know? And it's not fair because it's supposed to be a really special time for us. You know, we're bringing in a new life. But we're too busy worrying about if we get to even be a part of their lives because yeah. of, the like, the lack of... Um, just because of the racism in the healthcare industry mm -hmm. and the lack of education and empathy for black women. You know, we're constantly dehumanized, you know, in the media, in the textbooks, just in education, we aren't viewed as human. So just like knowing that makes everything uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm so sorry about the close family member that you lost. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you're right, though. I think that racism is obviously the key point, but doctors are saying, oh, we don't know. It's just Black women are just more unhealthy. It's like, no, that's not it. Yeah, that's not it at all. No, they're not digging. They're not looking at how they actually um, deal with Black women. Like, I don't know if you've seen this study yet, but I think they found that what was it 50 or 60 percent of medical students thought that black people dealt with pain differently yeah, yeah. exactly like i have a like a cousin-in-law who's like studying to be a nurse and she says she remembers seeing that in her textbooks like even recently how i thought you know? it was i didn't realize it was in the textbook yeah like how is it still there wow. you know like just like they talk about that stuff and it's like we we know that's not true like and and that's like that part is what continues to like dehumanize us you know like if we are put in a different category for pain levels then it's like we're not in the like category of human yeah you know and you're right it's terrifying like we're supposed to be able to enjoy this experience but we can't because of the racism that's within it like we're mm-hmm. constantly anxious about okay i'm gonna have this kid but what's my chance of surviving what's also my kid's chance of surviving exactly yeah the infant mortality rate is also high Mm -hmm. and see that i mean that's really scary too like um i mean i just keep thinking so many times like how lucky i got during my first birth because it felt like there was parts of it that were going to go wrong but they didn't fortunately and if i was in any other situation like it could have ended badly um so like i told you like i uh, bled a lot more so i feel like i mean my fear is like if I was in South Carolina like that would have killed me because my family member was in South Carolina and she died um and then my uh Luna came out with the cord around her neck um and they acted really really fast you know but I fear like if I was in South Carolina maybe they wouldn't have Mm. um and like she didn't cry for like 30 seconds which is like some of the most like it's terrifying (laughs) when your kid doesn't cry for like 30 seconds even though it's uh like really really short it felt like the longest time in my life and i mean she could have not survived you know so it just but it turns out i mean she's just a little bit of a uh you know she's pretty dramatic so she's (laughs) winding up her cry (laughs) because that's what she does now you know like the uh so <laughs> then we ready but at the time it was really scary and i don't know if either of us would have survived if we were in a different situation yeah. so. and do you think that there is a difference between east and west coast because you're originally from the east coast and west coast we know that the black population is not as great but do you think that the way that doctors react um is probably very similar um i i do think it is different um of course, I'm, like, going off, like, my own, like, bias, but uh, I know in the hospitals in Seattle, like, they, um, it's really important for them to uh, do breastfeeding right after the uh, kid is born, and I feel like they they put mothers first, like, um, I'm forgetting all the language that they told me, but they were, like, really set set on, um, you know, explaining that. But uh, in the South, like I had some friends who were giving birth around the same time I did, uh, and they didn't have that type of language mm. in the hospital. So I don't know. Sure. Like I said, like my own like bias, but I felt in a strangely safer in Seattle than I would have in South Carolina. 
Yeah. So after you gave birth, they actually assisted with breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. They did like they um they put her um on my chest. Um, so we did like um skin to skin, and they uh they helped out with the breastfeeding. That's great. Yeah. And um when you were having those the excessive bleeding afterwards, is that something that you got to talk to your doctor about or how did you deal with that situation? Um, I didn't even talk to my doctor about it. I just kind of honestly just put it in the back of my brain. It's like, that's that. We're not going to talk about it anymore. <laughs> like it didn't happen, but apparently like it's, I, I mean, it must be routine, but it was still like, it was a lot. They kind of started freaking out a little bit and, you know, call more people in. They're like, Hey, she's still bleeding. But I guess they just said some people bleed. I don't know. Yeah, but you're okay. And it sounds like they reacted. Yeah, they reacted. So, I mean, it was traumatizing, but I'm okay. And it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. And I, I still, like, you know, I just, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. It just sucks that you had to go into your pregnancy, throughout your pregnancy, labor and birth and postpartum being anxious about something we shouldn't have to be anxious about. Exactly. It's not right. Like, it's something that we shouldn't have to focus on. Like, this is supposed to be a really special time. And it's, like, because of racism, because of, like, white supremacy, like, we're fearing for our lives. Yeah. And it's messed up. Yeah. And... When you got pregnant with your second daughter, um, did you go back to the same OB? Did you change things up? Yeah, I ended up going back to the same OB um, and because it felt familiar. Um, and just being out here by myself, like it felt like somewhat of a community. Yeah. And so, so did that make that pregnancy a little bit less anxious because you kind of knew how this OB would react to you and birth and everything? Or um, it, it took some steps to make it less anxious, but I feel, I still felt like really, I was a little bit even more messed up the second time around uh, because of like my family member. And I was just like, uh, the uh, pregnancy wasn't expected. <laughs> so it just felt like, I don't know, I thought this was the end for some reason. I don't know. That labor and birth also go really well. Um, yeah, I mean, that one actually went way better than the first one. I mean, she popped right out and bam, <laughs> like I had a baby, yeah. you know, <laughs> another baby. Just like, I'm still trying to like wrap my head around that, you know. <laughs> but it ended up being a, a much better uh, birthing experience. And um, I felt like I feel lucky and I feel like one of the fortunate ones. Um, and I feel like I'm not having any more children. I am done. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't go through that stress anymore. Mm. Like it's, it's something that you can't really explain. Like just something that you just you, you either know it or you don't. You know I can't explain it to people who don't understand it. Mm. You know, but like if you're a black woman and you're about to give birth, I feel like you understand it. Mm. And have you ever? Do you have any like white friends that you've tried to explain this anxiety to and they can't comprehend it, or do some of them? Well, yeah, so, like, you know, um, I've tried to explain it to, like, uh, like my in-laws, because uh, my, um, my husband is white, um, and, like, they just, they don't really get it. Like, how do you explain privilege to people who are privileged, mm. you know, or it's just, like, you know, oh, you're going to be okay, you know, brushing it off, but you can't brush that feeling off. You can't brush off, like, 20 
plus years of feeling racism. Like it just doesn't go away. And like, I just like, especially after um, like uh, the most recent Black Lives Matter movement, like, like I don't trust white people anymore. Like I just can't. And I, I realized that I hadn't really, it was always, I was always kind of nervous being around white people, especially for the first time. You always think in the back of your head, like, are these people racist? You know, and it's like, if so, like how racist, how are they gonna, you know, how's that gonna affect me? So like having that feeling already and stuff, it's just like, it's hard to explain it to white people. It's hard to even open it up, open up to white people to the point where I can explain that. Yeah, no, cause I'm originally from Ohio, so. <laughs> yeah. East Coast, I get it. Uh, always having that thought in the back of your head, like, am I about to talk to a racist person? Um, like what am I about to get out of their mouth? Cause you just don't know. Yeah. And like coming from a point where like already having like that mistrust, like you just get exhausted and tired of having to explain to white people how you feel and your experiences, you know, like, if, like if I tell you that the black mortality rate for a woman giving birth is high, you should just take it for face value. I shouldn't have to say, explain the statistics. I shouldn't have to explain why I feel this anxiety. Like, you should just know. Mm. So. And growing up in South Carolina, did you experience a lot of racism there? I did. Um, so I actually uh, had like a pretty intense experience um, because I went to private school. Uh, like I got a good opportunity on a scholarship um and like my mom thought it was the best for my education to do it um so I went to private school and I was there from like fifth grade to when I graduated and during that whole time I was the only um black girl in my entire grade so I was surrounded by white people through like my uh like earliest like upbringing and stuff so I was surrounded by racism yeah and different forms too um so you know you have the it's not always like in your face you know a lot of it's subtle and like who uh talks to you who hangs out to you hangs out with you your teachers um even like racism can come in the form of like extra attention to you you know and it's just i don't know it was it was hard being in that environment yeah. And then moving to Seattle, um, especially dealing, like being in Seattle during the Black Lives Matter movement, how was that? Because clearly there was an uprising all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. Was that something that you still felt like you could speak about when you left the house or was there a lot of tension in Seattle? Um, well, there is a lot of tension here because um, there was a lot of protesting going on, um, especially like in Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I during that time and during now like I only really feel safe to discuss it within my household because mm-hmm. I trust my husband um and then I like in within the like black communities that I have like had to look for in Seattle was where I feel open but pretty much other than that like no I'm not gonna I just I can't you know I just I, I don't trust and I'm scared like, uh, right after, um, like, a lot of the protests, I was really afraid to go outside. Mm. And I, I 
maybe it's because like I'm already very very anxious but it just felt like I had not only did I have the spotlight on me like I almost had like a target you know like there's a car like right up the street in my neighborhood and on on the car they have a sticker that says all lives splatter so that's terrifying who knows what that person would do if I'm like walking down the street alone by myself you know yeah during that time with so much tension that would have been terrifying and like your daughters are at home with you you're just like what are you capable of yeah like I just I don't know it's it makes it nervous and like that's why like you know I dream of a world where I don't have to feel that fear like when I go outside like I dream of a world where I don't have to feel like black women don't have to feel fear when they give birth Mm. like that's the kind of world I want to live in and it really it starts with talking about it um, it starts with like normalizing it and um, just, you know, addressing racism, seeing color, you know, like that, all of that. <laughs> yeah, rather than saying I don't see color. No, you mm-hmm. see color, but you recognize that, hey, you don't need to be racist. It's just a different yeah. question. They're just like you. Yeah, exactly. And um, since you've uh, like had a lot of anxiety around the around like the pregnancy, labor, birth, uh, postpartum, dealing with the Black Lives Matter movement. How have you dealt with that anxiety? Um, creating. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, uh, I've been, uh, I pretty much put a lot of it of how I've been feeling into my work. Uh, because I feel like if I can like work through these emotions and how I'm feeling with my work, like I can help someone else too. Mm. who's also dealing with that anxiety so like if they could see like my work like they will feel inspired to break free too Mm. and start on that path to freedom and you know help shape a world where we won't have to be afraid to go outside yeah and your photography and your words are so powerful i love seeing your post up they're incredible Oh, thank you. And I mean, like I said, like I just, it really just comes from like a, a commitment to be as vulnerable as possible. Because uh, being vulnerable um, is helping other people be seen. And it's also helping me like work through my own stuff. You know, like I got to go, I still got a lot of stuff that um, I got to address. Like, and it's good stuff and it's bad stuff. And like shaping it, like is making me love myself. And I'm passing on that love for myself to my um, my children too. Like they're a very important piece into creating this new world where we can address racism. And I feel like that starts with self love too. Mm-hmm. So that's like that's where my work is coming from. Those where my words are coming from, just to you know help them and help everybody else too. But also just like you know I'm working through my shit. <laughs> <laughs> like most of us. <laughs> yeah, it's like just in a very public way. <laughs> and uh since I, I know diana's still pretty little but luna have you had to explain um racism to her at all yes i have um and i'm trying to um do it the best way i can like i've bought a lot of books to explain it to her but i feel like it's so important to teach your children about racism at a very early age because once you talk about something like you you take away the power of it being hidden in the shadows because mm-hmm. when it's like hidden in the shadows like it can continue you know like it has to be addressed so like uh, I talk about it as 
like the best I can for her to be able to understand it and the books really help um and like you know there's situations where uh like we're on the play or we used to be able to be on the playground <laughs> um like she would kind of like have these like weird moments you know where there is uh like moms who didn't want their children playing with her and like I mean i tell her why but in the like the best way that I feel possible and it's not like I'm trying to take away her childhood or anything like that I'm just trying to help her understand the world that we live in Mm -hmm. and like I said talking about it I feel like addresses the issues I would never expect that in 2020 like Seattle that's insane pretty wild and like we've had um situations where we're like walking down the street and stuff and um like being an interracial couple um always sparks a lot of attention and we've had people like yell at us and um say some pretty horrible things to us um and there was a point in time where uh this was before we had our children but uh like this guy kind of like chased me and my partner out of the uh, park you know just like yelling like horrible things to us about like our relationship and it's pretty wild I mean I, I do believe like you know there's a lot of like m- like mental illness that had to do with that too but still like that has lasting impacts so it does still happen like it's like it's something that's not like made up like these are real experiences that we're going through in 2020 in like a extremely liberal city like a bubble you know like it's happening still and that's something that you have to carry and like that changes your safety of how you feel in the city that you live in. Like mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to go out with your husband and your kids, but you never know what's going to happen when you leave the house anymore. Exactly. And so like, yeah. that's why I feel like it's important to explain to them or explain to Luna because she can comprehend a little bit what's going on, you know, and so she can be aware of it. Um, and like when I'm not there to help her or uh, to basically I'm, I'm just preparing her to be free so she can explain it too so she can just operate in this world of this very racist world <laughs> yeah and i think the other thing is that you're probably instilling it in her which i've noticed a lot since blm and coming up with a lot of black women is that when we were growing up if you're from especially the east coast or you grew up in a racist area that you kind of made yourself fit into that white bubble you kind of changed your identity and be like, okay, how can I make myself fit that white, like make myself accepted into that white community a bit more. Code switching. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm like, uh, I'm super talented at that. Having um, had to be in a private school um, environment that's like completely white for like a huge, like chunk of my life, you know? Uh, So I had, I learned to, you know, how do you like act white or to like you know dim myself down enough to uh appeal to white comfort Mm. you know uh not being too black so they won't be afraid of me or so they won't talk to me or you know just you know making like diminishing my shine in order for them to feel okay Mm. with a black person so i can get that stamp of approval like i'm the good black person Mm. you know I'm not like the others. Like that was, you know, my mindset, you know, code switching by acting as white as possible that um, I would get white approval, yeah. you know? So. That's a lot of us, isn't it? It's sad. 
it is really sad. Like we should not have to be like that in our world. Like we shouldn't have to like take away our authenticity in order to make other people feel comfortable or like to prove that you're good. So like they won't call police on you to kill you, you know? Like that's like it all like stems down to like, you know, how racist are these people? Um and since I don't know, like let me, you know, assimilate, you know. Right. Let me feel make them feel comfortable. Mm. Let me change who I am so that they feel comfortable and like I can be accepted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's just... And did your husband ever understand uh, what's the best way to say? Did he ever understand the racism before he was with you? Like, I don't you? think so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't really think he was aware of the amount of privilege that he has. Um, and I don't think he understood, like, how, like, rampant racism still is in America and what Black people have to deal with on a daily basis with interacting with white people. And it really did truly take, like, our relationship um and a lot of me educating and teaching him because like i love him and i want to educate and teach him (laughs) for him to really truly understand like that privilege and racism and what we go through and um even still now there's still so much he has to work through because that's i mean that's just it like white people can't just get absolved of like their privilege and their racism because they still benefit from it every single day so it's like it's a work in process progress like there's still a lot that he has to learn um and know and do but I'm willing to like put that work in for him Mm. to uh you know teach him and uh just educate him so like he can understand what we're going through and he can understand what his children are going through too you know Mm -hmm. because he's gonna be like an example for his children yeah understand that Mm. and so because he had that experience with you in the park in Seattle do you think that does he try to talk to the girls as well about racism now that he has seen that other side of it or do you think he's still kind of learning from you and trying to find the best way to talk about it um it's a little bit of both uh like he's still learning from me um but also like he understands enough where he can like tell our girls too like what's Mm -hmm. going on you know, so it's just a, it's a, a delicate balance between both. Yeah. He's still got a lot to learn, but also, you know, he's doing a lot of work himself. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, one of the other things I wanted to ask you is what I noticed when I was back home, a lot of, um, I worked in a child care center and a lot of the kids who had interracial parents, there was always the point when the kids would ask a question about why are my parents different colors? Mm-hmm. Why is mom white? Why is dad black? Or the other way, vice versa? Have you had to have that con- conversation with Luna? Or is that something that hasn't really popped in her head? Um, it hasn't popped in her head yet, which yeah. is very interesting. But we do have books that kind of explain it. Um, like we have this really cute book called um, Honey Smoke, uh, which uh, talks about a little girl who's trying to um, like find her color because she doesn't look like her mom and she doesn't look like her dad. Uh, so I think that um, that book kind of helps with it too because I mean, it's, it's one of her favorites so we read it all the time so I think it she understands that we're different colors mm-hmm. but I don't think she like understands why or anything like that but she's in the why phase so I'm sure that will come up eventually <laughs> <laughs> 
But at least she has great parents to explain it to her. And yeah, and at least you're teaching her, like you said, the books. I think books is so big for kids to see them see it in a story and be like, oh, that's just like me. Yes, and that's why like representation is so important and inclusion and um, diversity in these books because I mean, they're teaching our, our babies, you know, and they're like really important tools uh, in shaping the future world. Yeah, they are. And when, um, after your account really, when you started to including more of like being a black mother that breastfeeds on Instagram and stuff like that, did you ever receive like a lot of backlash or was it just support, support? Really? Oh, oh yeah. Lots of black backlash. Like I, um, I don't talk about it as often, um, but a lot of people slide into my DMs um, and I get like weird comments and I delete them right away because like, I don't. Mm -hmm allow space for that on my platform like it's mine and I get to choose like what I want in and what I want out and I try to keep it as uh like positive to the point where it's not toxic but like I still don't want that shit on my uh like on my platform but people do um they I've had a lot of like backlash about it too um like one of like the first pictures that kind of like started the whole thing I guess uh like it went like a little viral in like a lot of different um, communities. And uh, there was a lot of different conversations like surrounding the photos. And, you know, a lot of it was bad. And, you know, a lot of it just comes from like it not being talked about enough, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. crazy to me just because I found so much power in your photos. Like, I'm like, look at her. She's doing like the breastfeeding, the afro. Like, I love it. You just do the whole nine yards. And it just empowered me so much. And I think you're doing such an incredible job. I think you're empowering a lot of black women. Because, yeah, I see your photos all over Instagram. So that just surprised, I mean, I guess it shouldn't surprise me, but I just can't see how there could be backlash about just being like, this is black motherhood. You're allowed to breastfeed. You're allowed to do what you want and what makes you happy. Um, and like, so it's wow. Like, every time it, like, something does pop up I'm all it kind of like I have to sit and like marinate on it and think about like where this is coming from and like work through it uh like right around like black breastfeeding week which was um the last week in August like I had like a, a couple photos like pop up and like I got backlash from those like you know people being pissed that there's a black breastfeeding week like white women like freaking out because there's not a white breastfeeding week and it's just like okay are you for real <laughs> like this is not about you like the um black mortality rate and the infant mortality rate is like incredibly high you know it's not like that way for white women so black women need this type of week to talk about what's going on to make like these situations less taboo to normalize it so that we could save lives Mm. You know, so I get that type of backlash too. There's always something, but with um, the bad always comes the good. Like when um, when people are talking about you in like a negative way, like you know you're doing something good. Yeah, that's true. Like, <laughs> that's a good point. Like, you know, like you're making people uncomfortable, and you're talking about it. And like we have got to make people uncomfortable. You know, we got to strip away that white comfort so we can actually like have real conversations and make real change. If you're starting to feel uncomfortable, good. Like it's what I'm like, that's what I want to do. Like I want you to feel that discomfort and I want you to ask yourself, why are you feeling like that? Like, where's that coming from? Like that small, like little question will really like open the floodgates, you know, yeah. to racism and like dealing with your privilege and stuff. So. You know, that's what my work is. And like, also like, it's uncomfortable in the black communities too, you know, because like, it's like, 
it's still taboo to like openly breastfeed as a black woman. So ask yourself why you feel uncomfortable, you know, like, um, and like, it's just given like that representation and having people be seen too, like, uh, it's going to be a little negative, but overall, like, you know, I'm doing what I always want to do as a child, which is empower and like use my creativity in a way to make other people feel like they can, you know, live their lives in the, the freest way possible. Mm, I love that. No, you're doing an incredible job. I love it. And I think you may have covered this, but I want to go back. Do, does your family back home support you also breastfeeding? Um, my, my family back home, like we, they, they, they keep asking, why am I still breastfeeding? You know, it's like, you should stop, you know? And like, before I became like so open about it, you know, it was like, you know, we're talking about how perverted it is to um, go on so long, you know, when they can ask for it, they need to stop or whatever. Or like, just give that baby a bottle, give that baby formula and stuff. So not really um, the support I want. And like, I mean, my family, besides my mom, like my mom is comfortable uh, like with my Instagram, but I mean, there's a lot of discomfort with my Instagram and my family too. So it's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, your mom and your husband are pretty supportive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, um, they're supportive. Like my mom is like my cheerleader. She's still just like, you know, you should stop. Cause like, why are you doing all that? You know, <laughs> but she, uh, she still supports me. That's great. And I wanted to also ask you what, cause even like, I feel like across the U S in general, breastfeeding past I would say like six weeks is still super uncommon what mm -hmm. like what was your driving force even though obviously like we know in the black community it's not common what was your driving force to say like no I'm gonna keep going because this is my baby what was the driving force um I just because she loves it so much mm -hmm. you know really like um why I'm breastfeeding so long now like when I first uh, Luna, my first child, like only breastfed for three months because, uh, like it was a struggle for us. Um, and I was nervous. And so everyone was telling me to stop and like, it kind of like it carried with me. I felt guilty. Like I didn't give her everything I wanted, which is not true because in the end, like, you know, as long as your baby is fed, you're doing a great job, but I still carried that guilt, um, until my second kid. And so then with that guilt, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to keep going. Like, I know it's good for her. And she just, she loves it so much and it helps her um, feel secure. And like, especially during this time, like I'm going to give her that security. Um, and I think by going on for so long too, is like, I'm giving her freedom to decide what she wants, you know? And if she wants to keep breastfeeding, then like, we're going to do it. And I mean, it's hard. It's so hard. Like my body doesn't belong to me completely. Like I have to, um, be very like conscious of what I put in my body you know um so like not having that freedom is kind of like weird but like I'm giving her freedom mm -hmm. you know, to decide what she wants so yeah. it's just it's hard but it's just it's worth it I feel like it's paying off and it's like I'm giving her the security that she needs so that's pretty much my driving force just like you know just knowing that I'm giving her what she needs oh fuck yeah, you're so dedicated. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I am. Man, I'm pretty sure she's going to breastfeed till she's like five. 
It's cool, whatever. That's what she wants. That's what we're gonna do. And as a photographer, you get to you get you get to work from home. Yeah, I do. That probably helps a lot as well. It does help. Um, so I get to be at home. Um, so I don't have to worry about like pumping. Um, so I definitely am in like a fortunate, more privileged, privileged, uh, like way when it comes to breastfeeding. Like I don't have to go to a nine to five and I don't have to deal with a boss, like shaming me for pumping or anything like that. And so I feel lucky, uh, being able to be home and I mean, still breastfeeding on demand, literally like whenever she wants it, she gets it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, being at home makes that a lot easier. Um, and then even like with the, um, like with the coronavirus, like I'm at home more often. So that kind of empowers me to breastfeed a lot more too. Um, cause even to this day, I still get a little nervous, like when I breastfeed in public, um, even though like, you know, I'll just, I'm normalizing it on every way that I can. So I will do it and I will push for it, but I still feel a little nervous doing it. Um, so I think being at home even more, uh, has, you know kept me going too mm. i don't have to deal with like being nervous all the time yeah i remember one time i was flying from boulder to san francisco and i had like a husband and a wife and their babysitting next to me and she was like is it okay if i breastfeed i was like why are you asking me yeah you're good like you do not have to ask me for permission to do that oh my god but you know what it's it's so sad like that has to happen but like I feel like I've done that before too it's just like are you good you know because it makes some people so uncomfortable you know um but we have to do it like it's just, it just has to be done to normalize it or that's what I believe I don't believe you don't have to do anything you don't want to do but if I have to do it you know I, I feel like when I go in public I have to feel comfortable doing it even though I, or I have to appear like I'm comfortable doing it you know even if I feel a little nervous like I'm just I'm helping other people yeah and like i want like what you're doing now i want my daughters to know one day like if you want to breastfeed in public guess what you get to breastfeed in public and that's okay you're brown with an afro and that's fine yeah. you to do it and you're part of that movement yeah like just live your life like i don't want our children to have to question anything mm-hmm. like anything that would just be normal for anybody else you know i want them to just live their life so like you know, white women can whip out their tits in public to breastfeed. Like, black women should be able to do it, too, and feel comfortable. Everyone should do it. Mm. All women should be able to, uh, you know, breastfeed in public, public comfortably. Like, we need to stop, like, sexualizing, like, feeding our children. You know, it's something that's normal and natural. Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job, and you're part of that movement. I feel like you started that movement. I'm, I'm really happy that it is a movement um, and that my art is empowering somebody you know i just I, as long as someone sees feel seen then i feel like you know i've done what i needed to do like you know all that creativity or all that anxiety that i have been like working through in the form of creativity is like paying off <laughs> yeah oh god thank you so much for everything today just, thank you for being honest like it was amazing having you on it's such an honor really is when you said yes I was like oh yeah she said yes so thank you I really appreciate you reaching out 
We want to thank Brie again for coming on and talking with us about these important topics that we don't hear about often. Um, racism and motherhood in the U.S. is a major topic that we're seeing more and more, and Brie has been one of the main handles behind this. She has this amazing account raising awareness about her fears, her concerns, and her drive to make sure that her daughters feel like they can be the most empowered Black women that they can be. And we are so thankful that we got, had a chance to talk to her about this. And if you want to find Brie on Instagram, you can find her at Moon and Cheese, or you can also find her website at BrieMcDanielsPhotography.Pick-Time.Com. Thank you so much, Brie, again. It was absolutely an honor, and we hope all of you listeners enjoyed. We will see you all next week. Bye.